Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? This is Agassicles Stamets from GearWorks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel here on YouTube, here with episode number six of What's Your Issue, the People's Weekly Comic Book Podcast. Here with me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Stephen Moore. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm good. Good, good. So we are gathered here tonight to do what we always do, which is every week we run down six of the comics that we pulled from our stack last week and do an on-air review in pretty excruciating detail. Then we each go on to pick the best thing that we read this week and talk about those books a little bit if they are different than any of the books that we went through in the review rundown. Then we move on and call out any honorable mentions that there were in the preceding shipping week. And then we round out the show by letting you know what our pull list is for the upcoming week so that you know what to expect next episode. Tonight, we are here to talk about the books that shipped the shipping week of 7 November 2018. Uh, But before we get started with that, well, first, let me mention, this is a spoilery review show. We will hold nothing back unless we choose to do so of our own accord. So if you haven't read the books, just go read the books. It's Monday night, new comic book day is on Wednesday. You should be done already. Before we move on to the review segment, which heads off the top of our show, let's talk a little bit about the passing of Stan Lee. Uh, We, Stephen and I, kind of kicked it around a little bit today. Um, It was a bit of a struggle to uh, come to a decision on whether or not we were going to do the show at all. Um, And and I asked whether or not maybe the more appropriate thing to do was to maybe just be silent for the night. Um, At the end of the day, I think what we both came around to was, and I didn't know Stanley personally, I never met him at a Comic-Con or anything, but observing what I did know about him, I I figured that maybe the best way to honor him would be to press on with the show. Uh, And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about comic books and we're going to talk about the creators who work on those comic books uh, that we Love. Steven, did you want to say anything else about uh, Mr. Lee before we uh, move on to the review segment? Um, I just, in a very, um, my head is not really that straight in that moment, but uh, yeah, he was a great man to honor, and I don't know, I just, I just, I'm glad that he is able to live on in our spirits. That's all I can say. Okay. And so we're a little, uh, I'm a little uh, cantilever tonight with uh, a difference in the sequence of the show. So I'm trying to get out the social media very quickly. Uh, but at the top of our review segment is Justice League number 11. Uh, I also didn't get a chance to prep. Uh, well, I did get a chance to prep notes. I just uh, have them in a different place than I normally do. So I'll have my notes up very shortly about Justice League number 11. Yes, so Justice League number 11. Uh, Uh, Subtitled Drown Earth Part 2, written by Scott Snyder, uh, with colors by, uh, I'm sorry, with art, overall art, by uh, Francis Manipal. Uh, I was very glad to see Manipal back on this issue. Again, I know him most recently from a run, not a run, but uh, from uh, a few issues that he did of Detective Comics, uh, I think during the New 52, and uh, he wasn't on as a full-time artist. He would kind of drop in and do an issue here or there. I don't know that I've seen him on a long-term ongoing of single issues um, for a lengthy period of time, so I was very concerned that he was just being brought in 
to do an issue or two of the special. So I'm glad to see that he's at least on uh, to continue the story. Uh, Letters by Tom Napolitano. Uh, So the situation is following on the heels of, uh, quite frankly, a bunch of books. Um, So I won't go into the whole list because there's a ton of books. If you haven't been tracking Drowned Earth, um, then I'm sure that there's a checklist out there somewhere. I'm not going to go through that on this show. Uh, But we move on to the next chapter of the tale of Poseidon's disappearance, driving Aquaman and Diana to have sought him out, and then they go on to look for one of their ancient ancestors and secret weapons and lost knowledge of Atlantis. <clears throat> you get the drift. Uh, the Ocean Lords have been holding a grudge for what must have been a millennia, and now they're ready to give mankind their comeuppance, and Arthur appears to be the one that they mean to make an example out of. And on the way to doing that, they strip him of his aquapathic powers. Diana swings in to rescue him from walking the plank, which is how this issue opens. Um, and then Mera tags up with Superman and the Flash to seek out a weapon that will balance the odds. Uh, on art, on this, like I said, I can't say enough how pleased I was to see Manipole back for Manipole back for a second issue. Um, uh, whatever the, his deal turns out to be on uh, doing Justice League, uh, his artwork is just simply amazing. Uh, I don't feel like this issue was quite as sharp as last issue, um, and I'm kind of, like I said, I'm observing, and it seems like when he was doing those drop-in issues on Detective, uh, his artwork was a lot more detailed, um, And it, but it's, it's, it's fine, right? If Look, most artists who are highly detailed artists um other than jim lee right you can't can't put together a string of an ongoing issues because uh the work that they do is too meticulous um if if manipole can shift his style and pivot just slightly and that's what allows him to do a bunch of issues in a row i'm completely fine with that um and again, this issue seemed a, a scosh bit less than last. Uh, not that there was anything wrong. There were just a few things that didn't quite come off as spectacularly as the last issue. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I'm making some assumptions about his managing his workflow. It could have been that these issues were written like, you know, six months to a year ago. So who knows? Uh, as great a penciler as Manipole is, what really stands out here to me is the coloring work that he's doing. Uh, everything's backdrop, especially, is exquisitely crafted and given a veneer of its own. His oceans are filled with life and color, and yet he draws desert scenes just as great. Um, he has a few pages of pretty unique panel arrangements, which always helps keep the comic moving and not feeling so samey-samey from one page to the next. Uh, on story, Snyder's really crafted quite a bit of a masterpiece on this issue. Uh, he lets Arthur get his gumption up when the Ocean Lords tell him to walk the plank. You get about 10 seconds of, you know, of thinking, oh, here it goes. You know, he's about to turn the tide. He's going to do it. Uh, and then uh, one of the Ocean Lords kind of snuffs that out by, you know, just blocking his offensive and tossing him into the pit, rendering his uh, his grant. Like, when he was doing it, you could kind of hear the superhero music playing in the background, right? And then all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt um, and he's tossed to the pit. And then you get Wonder Woman to swoop in and, uh, and rescue him. And so we're back up on Thrills and Chills again. So in the span of, like seven to ten panels you get this real big roller coaster of emotion and it was really effective uh what i love here is snyder's use like i said of the drum beat um you get a big clash of cymbals and then a few pages of snare riff and then you get a big cymbal crash again and meaning there are several high points in this issue and it's only a 22 page book um but it's really impressive uh it's wonderfully paced and doled out in slices as if it's a chef creating a fine dish this whole thing is building up to a nice crescendo, and it's not even the finale yet. Um, I could easily read three more issues of this, which is not what I would normally say about an event. Most events, I'm just like, 
All right, let's just go ahead and we we know we know what's going to happen. Let's just go ahead and get it done with. Um, although, so I will admit of of the one thing that's dragging me down in it though is the Legion of Doom. I feel like we we've done ten issues with them. Yeah, they keep turning up like a bad penny, and I'm like, look. Luther, either get your ish together, right, or just get out of the book for a few arcs, right? Like you've had your opportunity, you've had your oppor- your chance at bat. Uh, so overall, I scored this issue an 8.5 out of 10. Um, if you've been reading along with the storyline from the beginning, this issue is a great payoff, and it's still not even the finale, as I mentioned. Snyder's making excellent use of the Justice League itself, not featuring any one member so much that we kind of get bored of seeing them. Um, well, but he's also including lesser known league members who, uh, you know, we yearn for. We want to see story like every time one of them makes a cameo, you want you're like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool to get like two or three issues of like Adam Strange? Um, but it, I, like it, Snyder's giving you just enough of them, but then kind of holding them back. So um, so it's good. Wait, making it, you know, delayed gratification. Uh, a lot of the things that I criticize in the sp- in the special issue, the Justice League Aquaman Drown Earth number one, as far as leaving them unaddressed and in the wind, which is when Tom King was writing, and maybe some of that was deliberate. Uh, this issue kind of ties some of those knots together. It's more of a good thing and even better than most of the issues that I read in the opening arc of the Justice League. So, uh, Stephen, did you get a chance to read this? Yeah, I did get to read it. I, I would give it a 7.5 because i i didn't enjoy as much as the other issues because i think it was a lot to consume for myself okay right Mm. i could definitely i could definitely see that and i'm not sure i'm gonna be excited to see legion of doom because i don't like the way scott snyder writes them yeah i can i can understand that too i there's there's a there's a thing i'm sorry go ahead i can't see lex working with joker it doesn't fit right to me but go ahead yeah, no, but I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm more accepting of that because that's been done before. Yes, been done. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, 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 right. But you're right. I mean, the, if you look at it at face value, the whole concept of the Legion of Doom, right? What, which I guess is the shtick, right? And it, it's going to be interesting to see how Snyder ties it off. The whole problem with the Legion of Doom is that the notion itself is is destined to failure because no group of villains that, evil are ever going to work together long enough to actually yeah, defeat it never really fit to me I, right. i've seen it happen since super friends and i'm not <laughs> super friends right it just it just i don't know i never see lex Luthor work well with the joker yeah and it doesn't you end up seeing him betray again it's like what the hell's the point yeah but it what it creates is it, it i guess what it does more than anything is it's, it's a it's a maneuver play where it creates one-off pairings that are that are spectacular and can be special when you like um like hawk girl and joker right like that fight um you know her her getting her feet back under her and taking out the joker in that initial you know 10 story spread um lex and batman which you again you normally wouldn't get because lex isn't a batman villain um and then Lex, like, breaking all the bones in Batman's body. I mean, so you, you get, like I said, you get some neat set pieces that you wouldn't normally get. And I guess maybe that's the only reason um, to put them together. I don't know, man. Talk to me about Death of the Inhumans, number five. This is interesting because I'm currently binge-watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, which I ignored for years. And, of course, the Inhuman wow. storyline is, is strong in that. So talk to me about Death of the Inhumans. All right. The the Definitely Humans number five is by uh, Donnie Cates and 
is the writer and the artist is Ariel Over Overlet. Yeah. Or Overready. I don't know how to actually say it. But um yeah. It's this this is the final issue of this mini series and um it's 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 um closing the chapter of the Kree send creating this making Maximus into this um inhuman hunter monster creation like it's it's uh very like I guess I could say horrific it's very horror like horror like type of story and he's he's um he he um sh- it makes it seem like he killed inhumans but he actually didn't that's what Vox misled them in humans to thinking because um the only people that are alive is the royal family and they find out that um Vox has actually been taking in hum- the inhumans and making them into just like a monster creation of themselves like like uh all the inhumans were not themselves anymore and in the um the towards the end of the issue uh black bolt had to uh kill all of his i mean mo i mean some of his people not all of them just just some of his people that were that were captured by the vox and that it was pretty um heartbreaking to actually see that happening in the book and I actually enjoyed seeing that. That's what maybe enjoy this series a lot because um, you see Black Bolt actually cares about his people, and to see his his people ripped away from him is kind of um, heartbreaking. And uh, it was a really good book. I I I was because I really don't like Donnie Case as a writer. Um, I'm not really all into the hype that he gets. I'm kind of indifferent with that, but I honestly think this is the best book he's um, written. And um, I, the only thing I did not like was the cop out with Lockjaw because they showed like he dies, but he doesn't. <laughs> so I was kind of disappointed with that, but the book was pretty good. And I do love the way. Um, Black Bolt is written in this series because he's actually speaking in sign language, which I rarely see done with Black Bolt in comic books. They always try to find ways to get around the the sign language, and it gets really annoying to me. And I'm glad that Donnie Case and Ariel Orvetti was able to illustrate that into the book. They did a, a really great job demonstrating sign language. And they didn't escape around it. I really like how he writes it. That's about it. So, so let me ask you: you you mentioned that you don't care for Donny Cates that much, but but this issue, and I think I think you've talked about a, a few of these issues on the show. You've you've liked each of the last few ones. So, is this is this an inflection point? Are, are you becoming a believer? Oh no, I'm not sure I'm becoming a believer. Not, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I believe I'm in the firm believer that every writer has a chance of writing a good book for me. I I Right, from I the 
from issue to issue, right? I don't think there's ever a such thing as a. Um, I don't think there's ever a such thing as a bad writer for a sake, because I think every person is able to write something good and something bad. There's been book. There's been writers that I have loved that's written terrible books before. So right, right, right. I can I can see this happening. Of so. Okay. Yeah, that's about it. So, I mean, do you have? I mean, do you have? I mean, I know that you have favorite writers. So. Yes, I do have favorite writers. I do. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll come back to that on another day. All right. So, <laughs> so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the dreaming number three. What what who what who what publisher is this from? Oh, that's from Vertigo. Okay. Uh, okay. Gotcha. It's from the Sandman universe. Okay, alright. Yeah, it's uh it's it's by uh is the dream is by Simon Simon Spurrer is whereas I noticed um and the artist is Bleakwist Evely. So yeah, um this issue is pretty interesting. It 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 kicks off with um the introduction it gives a introduction of of um judge gallows which is uh a figment of imagination like he's a of what um humanity has become like i think there is i'm not really too sure about it but it looks like maybe someone has imagined him into the dreaming world and that's how he's his origin story began, um, but uh, yeah, he's he's he finds out that Sandman is no longer around, and Lucian and the others, um, other, um, the other people that that are in the um, Sandman world are unable to organize things without. Um, Without Morpheus, he they're they're sort of struggling, and they they're they don't know what to do. And Judge Gallows ends up taking over the 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 ranks of what's I mean of, of trying to be in charge of the world of of Morpheus. That's what the issue is mainly about. And uh, I did really enjoy this issue. I would. I forgot to make give a score for different humans. I would give that nine point five, but um, for the dreaming, I would give this uh, a eight point five because I really did like the way they introduced Judge Gallows. I really didn't know his character, and I did get to know a lot about him in here, and it was a good way of introducing that. Oh. Your, mute, your mic is still muted. Okay, yeah, I guess it's got a double mute thing when I swing the swing arm up. Uh, so, are are you reading all of these Sandman books from Vertigo? I am. Okay. It's just, I'm not really too familiar with Sandman. Yeah, no, much. yeah, no, I, neither am I. Like, when I... Like, writing that, I mean, so I wrote a review for issue number one, I guess, before we started doing the podcast. I, maybe that was, yeah. like, the last round of reviews that I wrote before we actually started doing this podcast. And uh, it was tough, because you had to make some leaps of faith in, like, just, like, you know, making some assumptions about what was going on. Uh, it's a very 
complex universe, um, even though there haven't been a ton of comics written about it. So, uh, so how, I mean, how, so what is that doing to your pull? I mean, how frequently are those coming out? Cause there's like five books, right? So they got to be coming out like one every week. I think so. Um, I don't really keep track of when, but I just look at the websites. Yeah. From week to week. I don't really keep up to what, how 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 weekly these things are coming um no no but i just mean i mean assuming that they're all shipping monthly i'm just saying with five books i reckon vertigo is spreading them out so as far as its impact on your reading time i mean there's one of these books because this is a plus up from whatever your pull list your recurring pull list was before right so uh, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I mean, you expected to enjoy it. That's why, but I actually did enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. Right. No, I was just, I was the same way as number one. And when I the the week that I read it for me, it was what I mean. I was doing the best thing I read this week back then, and it it was the best thing that I read that week. Um, I was absolutely floored uh, by that issue. I was amazed, and like you, I just figured walking into it that the world had been pre-built and was so intricate that there's no way I was going to be able to onboard with it. Like the first issue, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, and yeah, if, if I'd had, yeah, I mean, I, I elected not to dive in, you know, full bore and, and adopt all of these onto my reading list. Cause at the time my reading list was just, it was just full. Um, but, uh, but no, that's cool. That's cool. And is it, I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be awesome to like be, cause they're all interconnected and they have characters that flip back and forth across the issue. So that's gotta be rewarding, right? It's almost like, it's almost, yeah, I mean, it is a shared really. universe. So. Yeah. I noticed the books are really tying into each other. Okay. And they, they all going through the same story. So it's like, you are like having, like you having to, you're like forced into picking up all the books. They all centered around. Okay. The only book that felt out of place was on um, Lucifer. That's it. Okay. I noticed. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've only started reading Salmon like recently. I read volume one and two last, um, last, um, no, it was a couple of weeks ago I did read it. Okay. It was for my comic book club that I go to. And they, I had to read those two. So I am getting very, I'm getting somewhat familiar with the Sandman universe. And I was able to enjoy this book a lot much better because now I'm actually getting a piece of the puzzle. Right. But yeah. Right. It was interesting to see how it um, started out. Yeah, yeah we're gonna, we're going to talk about that a little later again. Of like, what is you know when you're when you're on a book and you're reading it, and yeah, you enjoy it, but you know we you know every every comic book reader, everybody who does it for a long period of time, they they have their notions of like this is my Batman or this is my Aquaman or whatever. Sometimes the problem with that, though, is like like for the longest time, I never had a Joker because I didn't read like a a Joker origin never came across. Right. And like no, no writer that I was with during their run was like a big Joker, like X, right. You know, so so sometimes you miss out on those things. You know, the the people who did and I forget who wrote it, who wrote it now, but like the people who onboarded with Aquaman when they did the story where he, you know, lost his arm and had like the trident for the arm. Like 
those people are ardent, fervent Aquaman fans, and that's their Aquaman. But like, you had to be in comics at that time, right, in history when it went down. So, um, you know, just like you know, for for like my generation, like there there are people who like their Batman is the Frank Bil- Miller Batman, right? Because we were kids when that thing dropped, and that's what you read. Uh, so. Yeah, so that kind of stuff is always interesting, uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But the other thing I was going to say is, then there's also this notion of, you know, you're reading the book and you like it, but you don't hit that point until that thing has put until that thing has been out on the market for like a year sometimes, right? That that yeah. that masterwork payoff of, of them all being woven together, um, you don't start getting that until maybe you've been on it a year, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so let's uh, let's wrap up with your. I guess the, this is your last review. Uh, Runaways number fifteen. All right, Runaways fifteen is is um is written by Rainbow Rout Rollwell, and the artist is Chris Anka. Um, I really did enjoy this book. It's yeah, this book is um. It's about Nico finding out her staff of one is an actual living being. She she yeah, she actually finds out that is a it's actually a a human's inside that staff that she um possesses and uh she gets to know the staff a little bit and it's pretty interesting. it was an interesting take to find out that that the staff of one is actually a living person. And he was, he was held captive by Nico's grandmother. We get to know about her ancestry past. It's, it's kind of interesting, and I did like it. And um, I wish I could find, I was able to find out a little bit more. But I think they gave us enough for for us to keep and in, be intrigued by it. And I'm glad that uh, Chris Anko was back into this uh book because he took a two-issue break i i i um found, i noticed when i was reading the issues and the the series was a little different without him i didn't like the previous artist that much and i'm glad that he's actually back into the series and i was able to enjoy it much better with him drawing it so yeah and um I guess I give this issue a eight point It's it was a really good issue. I really did like Nico finding out about the staff as a living person. It's an interesting take. I it, and she does point it out as like a genie, and I think it's kind of interesting. Well, that's good because I was gonna ask if it was more like a ghostwriter deal. So it's good to hear no. that it's a genie. <laughs> yeah, because so he's like he's like a genie that grants wishes. For, okay, with the magic staff, but yeah, he only could do the he only could do the spell once. Right. He said she complained about that to him, and he's like, "That's what <laughs> that's what her grandmother put upon him." Okay. Yeah. All right. Very cool. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Spider Geddon number three, and unfortunately, like I said, uh, I didn't get a chance to write a mini review about this and take copious notes. So I'm going to be going right from the book. I'm going to be looking at the book as I'm talking through it. So um, uh, this is based on a story by Dan Slott, a story by Christos Gage. Uh, pencilers on it were Carlo Barberi and Todd Nauk. 
uh, inkers on it were Jose Mar- Jose Marzan Jr. and Todd Nauk as well. Um, and the colorist was David Curell. Uh, letters by Travis Lanham. Um, now, if you recall, I wasn't a super huge fan of Spider Geddon number two. I was left very confused about you know wh- what we were doing. Um, I also made mention of the fact that I didn't particularly care for uh, the way they drew Miles in this issue. Um, and I, I, I'd, I'd have to look back. I didn't check to see uh, if this is the same artist on three as it was on two. Um, I have a feeling uh, that it's not. And I am going to check real quick since I have it right here at my finger tips yeah so that yo so the last art the last art team was uh jorge molina and jay leister um so it's a completely different art team it seems like on this which is interesting and maybe they just had to uh spread the issues around um so but i liked this one a lot better uh partially because of the art there's a lot um there's a lot more contrast in the colors uh again i talk about you know the fact that um now Dave Curiel Curiel is on colors, and we've talked about something recently where his name came up as well. Uh, but he lo- does a lot of great color contrast here. Um, uh, uh, Carlo Barberi and Ted Knock again. I don't know who did what pages, but um, the one thing I d- was it super crazy for is uh, is uh, the Takuya Yamashiro, uh, so sp- the Spider Man of Earth fifty one seven seventy eight. I didn't feel like that was a particularly great robot. Um, that they drew, um, it was, I don't know, I just, it just felt a little too dumbed down in detail, uh, for, for this book, like, like the, the spider characters are like pretty intricately detailed, uh, but then when they scale out to the robot, um, it, it just looked like, like it was something that they couldn't spend a ton of time on, and it kind of looked, I don't know, a little bit like a GoBot from, uh, you know, from, from the 80s, and if everybody remembers the GoBots, they were like the cheap version of the Transformers, um, so, um, but everything else in this book is really sharp. Uh, there's, there's particularly, uh, in the scenes where they are kind of dimension hopping, um, across the multiverse. Um, there's a really great page here with, uh, the Spider-Man of India from Earth, uh, 50,101. Um, what I really like here is how, uh, uh, Barbarian Nauk really, uh, it's clear that they're having fun drawing all of the different spider people. Um, you know, you have, uh, you have, a, a Spider-Man who has, a, who's an older version of Peter Parker, um, who eventually married Mary Jane Watson and then Mary Jane became, uh, his partner. So she also gained superpowers at some point. I really love this costume of the Spider-Man of India, uh, with kind of the, the long flowing. And I'm sure that the, there's a proper name for Indian garb, uh, which I don't know, um, but he, he's got the, the long flowing, like he's got like the baggy pants and like the long flowing uh, shirt that comes all the way down uh, and kind of the buccaneer boots um, or at least the, uh, I don't know what you call those. They're not buccaneer boots, but they're, there's some kind of boots. Again, I, I prefer the Miles Morales uh, render in here and the blacks on Miles. I love how the blacks, the black of Miles's costume is a deeper, darker black than a lot of the other characters that he's on screen with, which I feel like is appropriate. Like there should be something that breaks out Miles Morales and makes him special. Um, you get on story, you get uh, Ben Riley come back after his recent uh, 
psychotic jaunt as the jackal. Um, there's a bit of a, a of a disturbance in the force between he and Otto, who is now back in the spectacular spider uh, spectacular superior Spider-Man suit. Um, and again, I didn't care for him shifting costumes uh, from the, the octopus suit because I really love the new octopus suit. Uh, but like I said. Um, Barbarian now do a great job drawing a lot of these costumes, and and you could almost just this is a book that you could almost just flip through and not even bother reading uh, the story. Um, but uh, but in the story, uh, the the good spiders and the bad spiders, the faction that have rallied around Miles and the faction that's rallied around Otto, uh, uh, you know, finish all their recruiting and gather their teams, and then the good spiders decide that they're going to go ahead and launch an assault uh, on the inheritors and try and blow uh, the lab of autos that they've taken over where the cloning vats are and where they have created a shell for their father. Um, and so miles wants his team to go in, go in and take that down before uh, that team or before the father can be resurrected. Uh, and the battle is going badly and Otto shows up with his team. Uh, there's a great little sequence uh, where miles calls Otto and offers him the opportunity to partner with them again on the assault. And Otto's like, well, you know, it sounds like, you know, we don't, we, we, we don't have a plan together. Um, you know, plus you guys aren't really willing to kill them. And Miles is like, Roger that I'll write you down as a no. So it's, it's just a very, it's a very leadership oriented miles in that phone call more so than we normally see miles. Um, you know, when you look at the champions and I think you're going to, I don't know. Did you? I know you read Champions. I, I don't know. Yeah, if we're, I didn't read Champions. It's on the honorable mention. Okay, so I don't know if we'll get into that in any detail. But, but my point, you know, when you read Miles and Champions, and you see him in team ups with Miss Marvel, he's not a for, like people look to him for leadership, but he never leans forward with it. He he kind of expresses like the spirit or feeling of the group, uh, kind of in a Gian Gion's kind of way. But he's not like a battlefield leader, and th like this, I felt was much more him leaning into that role, um, and just like being super sarcastic with Otto and like cutting him off when when Otto, like it seemed like Otto was trying to like have a conversation with him, and like whenever Miles didn't hear, whenever it. And I go through this a little bit in my own work day at work. Whenever Miles thought he heard Otto saying just complete rubbish, he'd be like, okay, fine, whatever. I, I've, look, I've asked you and we're moving on. So I really liked uh, that scene uh, played out between them. Um, so mm -hmm. this, this is a big fight. It's a big action comic too, uh, a little more so maybe even the last one. Um, and at the end, the spider teams are licking their wounds. Uh, I also, I love the spider in this that is uh it's a colony of spiders uh, who have somehow convinced themselves that they're Peter Parker. That would be funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, and one of the spiders is uh, one of the spider people is Harry is a Harry Osborn from an Earth. Um, and after this battle, uh, Osborn and this collection of spiders starts conspiring against the group. Um, I wasn't super crazy about that because I really just want a fight between. Uh, the spider teams and the inheritors without a lot of infighting and betrayal. Um, but well, I, I was, the book convinced me enough to give it a chance to let it see, um, you know, how that would go. So I, you know, there's a, there were a couple books last week, especially that I felt like ended, you know, and, and, and maybe even more so the week before that, 
that like were fine books but didn't stick the landing. Um, I didn't quite label that criticism at this one. Um, at the end of the day, I gave this book an 8.5, which is significantly higher than I gave issue number two. I was actually really happy that I read this issue this week in my stack. Um, I'm not necessarily committed to reading, uh, you know, the, the fourth issue when it comes out. Um, but I definitely won't, you know, if it does pop up, uh, my randomizer, I'm not going to shove it away. So I don't know. Did you get a chance to read this, Steven? Yeah, I did get to read it. I thought I didn't um, enjoy it as much. I'll give it a 7.5. <laughs> it's just that I didn't like that um, Miles went to fight the inheritors without a plan. And it just seems immature of him as a hero that's been a hero for a while to just run in that like that. I didn't I I thought Peter Parker taught him better than that. And it just I didn't like that aspect. I, I felt like he did have a plan and the plan just didn't work out that great. I mean it, it was it, the plan didn't have he didn't have contingencies. So um you know, there was one. Yeah. There was one detonator. Maybe it would have been better to have like a, a, a detonator that was a decoy, um, and then some, have somebody else have the real detonator. Um, particularly after like they just made that error with like the the whole Gwen Stacy thing last issue. Um, so I don't know. I yeah, but I but I can definitely see how, how somebody would see it that way though. I do like how how um auto activist is written from, from in this issue he's um he's pretty i guess full of himself i actually enjoy that well and let me ask you too like it, this feels a little bit like a movie in that like the breakout character is uh i'm trying to go back and remember her name um is the female auto octavius from uh from the other earth who i know oh, yeah i know they Octavia. I know they mentioned her in here. Yeah. Um, she was in the previous Spider Verse. Yeah, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't that prominent as in this one. Yeah, Octavia Otto, uh, heroic other dimensional counterpart to Otto Octavius. Yeah, and that's part of the problem is there's 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 some neat nods to just different variants. Um, I love like the 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 uh, Ben Riley Peter Parker. Uh, yes. du- duo where like Uncle Ben lived and he had he like he was a big brawler kind of like a wildcat, um, but then a young Peter Parker became his partner, um, and then I really love this the the web slinger Ponderosa Parker of Earth thirty one nine thirteen, um, who has like two pistols and he's like a cowboy. So there's some really neat creative asides here, and unfortunately they can't like showcase all of them. But um, anyway, it's clearly I enjoyed the issue so uh (laughs) so the last issue the last issue in our review segment is a sideways annual number one now this is one that i wound up pulling uh because every week what i do is i look at steven's pull list and i pull and i add another two uh from what he's reading to my pull list um this was one of those uh sideways annual number one actually spider geddon was the other one um Sideways Annual Number One, uh, subtitle "Just Rifting Here," published by DC. Uh, the, the credit thing was on this one was really weird, where they just called Will Conrad, Cliff Richards, Dan DiDio, and Grant Morrison the storytellers. Um, and I'm not familiar with this creative team, so I didn't really. I mean, I, I believe Will Conrad is the actual writer, um, and I know Dan DiDio uh, kind of in a like Dan Slot. Uh, 
uh, Joss Whedon role on some other comics where like they're the architects and they have the master concept and then they hand the writing duties off to other people. Uh, I guess Cliff Richards did all the art, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, uh, the situation here is that I know you've been reading this. Uh, yeah. So, uh, f f forgive how I wrote this up because okay. I wrote this up as a drop in issue. Uh, so the situation, who knows? This book is pretty darn crazy. It's not in my regular recurring pull list. Uh, this was a drop-in partially driven by, you know, by yours, as I mentioned. Uh, as far as I can tell, there are some multiverse variants of Citizens of Metropolis, a couple of Clarks, a couple of Loises, maybe some others who at some point got turned into monsters. They travel around to other Earths, probably wreaking a bit of havoc, but maybe they are not inherently evil. They're partnered or opposed, I guess, by a frenemy, uh, by a guy named Derek, who got his powers, and while they are apart, they're somehow part of a greater whole, because there's this whole reference to them as the Warrior Seven or whatever. Um, in this annual, some element of this story culminates in a climax, and as the Warrior Seven are present for the realization of some prophecy, the question then being how many of them are going to survive and what's the status quo after the fact. Oh, and my favorite thing is, we get T-shirt and Gene Superman in this. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, I don't remember which one he is again, though, from what Earth or whatever. Um, but I really took a fancy to this story. It's pretty busy. I mean, super busy. Uh, and it stands out in stark contrast to last week's Justice League Wonder Woman, The Witching Hour number 1, for instance, which I felt was kind of slow and didn't have any action in it at all. Uh, there's something going on literally all the time, and Conrad gives you a panel, maybe two to reorient yourself to the current state of the is, before he ramps the pace back up. Uh, so the, the main uh, device here is Sideways, the main character. His main power is this rift jump that allows him to pull kind of a mixture between a Kitty Pride and Iliad or Sputin, where he phase jumps and leaps through time space to appear somewhere else. So, so this is characterized in the book, where from one sequence in the book, um, you know, he 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 pops in, a bunch of stuff happens, and then he pops out. So, your the camera is constantly being pulled like from one scene to another, uh, in a pretty snappy kind of manner. Um, it looks like he might be able to do this to displace objects as well, kind of like the portal making character in Incredibles two could do. Conrad uses this to great effect as he's constantly resetting the scene. It could easily become unwieldy in the hands of another writer, but he and the rest of the creative team keep it just in check. It creates a remarkable sense of pace in a good way, and after having read some really slow reads recently, as I mentioned, this was a pleasant change in dynamic. Um, particularly for these larger issues, I think the main thing th that I was kind of latching on to when I wrote these talking points is that... Um, a lot of the larger books, like the like, I've had a few like double size and quadruple size issues in my in my pulls for the last few months, and it seems like anything that was oversized was incredibly slow in a lot of cases. Not every time, but frequently. Um, so in art, there's some really great creature work in this book, and again, I point back to some books that we talked about last week, where we had artists writing a storyline and that they had to do creature work and that wasn't their normal shtick and it didn't work out as well. It did here. Um, solid fight choreography as well. Beautiful specular lighting with a lot of the weird funky dimensional transition effects in the background. Uh, an excellent hand. The artist had an excellent hand in making some of the big battle scenes um, with a good amount of detail, but not quite overdoing it. Most of all, there are just some great poster worthy t-shirt and Gene Superman poses and splash pages in this. Like every few pages, there's just like a great Superman pose of jeans and t-shirt Superman. Um, 
we, you know, we don't get to see that Superman this often. The art team really sinks their teeth into it. Uh, good work also on clothing in terms of making the jeans rumple. Uh, this Superman's hair is a bit looser. Uh, apparently, Extra Dimensional Superman does not use as much hair product as our Clark Kent does. Uh, so it's a big damn adventure book, and the art syncs up with that motif pretty darn well. There's some funkiness in some of the Clark close-ups where there's a bit of inconsistency from portrait to portrait across gaps that are several pages, meaning... You see Clark on one page, and they do a close-up, and he looks one way. And then five to seven pages later, there's a close-up on his face again, and he looks slightly different. In one case, he looks like he's Asian or like like a like mixed ethnicity. Um, so it's not entirely jarring, but it did take me out of the read a bit because I would be like, "Whoa, wait, who's like? Why does he look so different there?" Um, at the end of the day, I scored this book a 7.5 out of 10, um, which is a, a my grading scale. That is a book that that is really good, but falls maybe just short of greatness. And maybe that's just because it didn't have a big uh, reveal or a, a, a major like you know breakneck snap of the new status quo. Um, but at the end of the day, I was really pleased that I dropped in to take a peek at this. DC has something really nice going on with these just outside the inner circle new creations of the DC universe. And I'm talking about Sideways, uh, The Silencer, and Immortal Men. Um, all these things that came out of uh, out of Dark Knight Metal. Um, I'm also surprised that I'm saying this, but I actually hope that we get to see a crossover event with all of these characters that, as far as I can tell, like I said, came out of Metal. Uh, while this issue slides just shy of greatness, it was a really pleasant read and a nice way to get my stack started for this week because this was the first book that I read. Uh, I'm hoping that it comes up in the randomizer at some other point so I can do another drop-in. Again, no room in my recurring list to put this on, um, although uh, I, I'm officially pulling the trigger on replacing Batwoman this week because I don't know what the heck is going on with it, but I just know it hasn't shown since the last issue that I read like three months ago. Oh, uh, that series got canceled. It ended a long time. Batwoman? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, not a long time ago. I mean, it just issue 34 oh. was just like this August or something. You said a uh, Batwoman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But I mean, I'm, I mean, I mean, I mean, right? yeah. no, 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 it was, yeah, no, it was 34 was just, um, <clears throat> like I said, was just, uh, just a couple months ago. And I, and I, and I mean, I keep, you know, I keep oh. looking for the rest of it and it didn't, it didn't. I mean the way the way the last few pages were written, uh, I could definitely see how it went on hiatus. But the story didn't end. Um, it, it 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 ended with her moving in or maybe prepping to get married to uh, to uh, I can't remember what they're doing in the to Maggie uh, Sawyer in the comic. Um, oh, you talking about that Batwoman series? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so yeah. So overall, pretty good. I thank you for. Uh, picking it uh, it being in your pull list last week so i wound up pulling it onto mine um and and actually this was a slightly different trend uh just because we have different opinions sometimes i pick things from your list that yeah. don't sit as well with me as some other things this is a week where the two books that i picked from your list uh, were actually um two of the most enjoyable things that i read so uh, uh i do have a few things to say about yeah yeah go ahead sorry oh, oh. <laughs> um yeah, I did enjoy this a, a lot. I could give it an 8.0, but um, yeah, this is that I'm glad to see the, the new 52 Superman back because that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be uh, 
the new 52 Superman. It's just, I wish they explained it. Oh, wait, wait. So this is, is this the Superman who took off at the end of Convergence and was replaced by married parent Superman that we have now in Rebirth? Okay. All right. Oh, wow. Okay. They just didn't explain how he exists because, um, he's, he's supposed to be merged with Superman from, because I remember the story he had with the Mizzipplick. Um, I always get trouble saying his name. Okay. But, but yeah, uh, he's, he merged the two Supermans into one character. Huh, that's interesting. And they're supposed to have, he's supposed to have a mixture of both Superman, I mean, both the pre 52 Superman and the new 52 Superman. Okay. Yeah, they didn't, he, um, I remember, uh, yeah, I forgot the previous writer who wrote the book already. Uh, Dan Jurgis didn't do a good job of merging the two characters. Okay. I didn't like the origin, and I was like kind of missing out, missing the new 50 Superman, because I did like him. I did enjoy him. I know a lot of people don't like him, but I did enjoy it. Yeah. And I was glad to see him back into the universe, and I did see that he is still a irresponsible super right 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 he's the one who's not that experienced and kind of runs in like a yeah. knucklehead although you and know that is, that is the point because he's only been a hero for like a short a year or whatever right no but you know what I, I i'm actually glad i didn't know that i mean i'm glad that i know it now i'm glad i didn't because i would have been much more prone to give the book a nod i mean again 7.5 is is, is not an 8.0 or above for me However, for a book that I did a drop-in issue on that is not part of like the the DC legacy that I'm you know, you know it doesn't it doesn't get any you know bonus points for like being a character that I love that I don't get to see a lot. It's a completely new IP. So so I feel I feel like the issue kind of earned it a little bit more than um than it would have if I had known that that was like cuz I don't read a lot of Superman I probably read more New 52 Superman, at least via Action Comics. I didn't read the main Superman uh, book, but I read a lot of the Action Comics that, that Greg Pak did. Um, and uh, and, re- and yeah, really... I, lo- I really liked when Greg Pak was writing Action yeah. Comics. Yeah, that was awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, so so I, w- I would have definitely been inclined to maybe boost... The, I mean, it, it, again, not deliberately, but probably subconsciously, I probably would have given it the 8.0. Um, just for you know that Superman being in there, um, but I actually like for for my own reading experience that I felt like the the book earned it more so just for being the sideways annual um, rather than for capitalizing on a hook from New Fifty Two. So yeah, I just hope we see him again because I like that they just like he stays in the dark multiverse world and they didn't explain how he exists if he's supposed to be merged with the. The Superman that's in the in the main Earth right now. Yeah, I mean, I I do too. I mean, I guess he's a plot hole. (laughs) Well, right, and well, and the problem with the Rebirth Superman is it's it's kind of always a nagging like mosquito buzzing in the back of my head that's like, okay, but that's that's not really the Earth One Superman. Like that's not really my Superman. Um, Although that that character is working out okay, but. You know, at the end of the day, this is my whole thing that 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 like bends me out of shape and will drive me to a rant, which we won't do this show about 
the whole like mismanagement of DC and the notion of the multiverse going all the way back to like yeah. 1984 when I first started in comics when we did Crisis on Infinite Earths and cleaned all this up, right? And then hey, more more of a mess. It's yeah, getting cleaned up I, I know. Well, and, con- and convergence, <laughs> right? We we did we did crisis. We slipped away from the solution of crisis. Convergence was supposed to solve everything that you had ruined, right? And then it just went right back to the same thing. Like yeah. So like I said, I'm not going to do the rant, but uh, yeah, the whole like uh, that makes me angry. Immortal Hulk number eight. Let's talk about something that doesn't make me angry. Although the titular character of this comic is a very angry individual. Um, great book i'm actually kind of a little disappointed that al ewing didn't uh respond to my shout out that he gave him on twitter uh late last night or alex ross for that matter but i digress they don't owe us anything um this is what i talk about this is what i mean when i talk about a book that you're on and and like for months i've been telling people immortal hulk is good immortal hulk is good I think largely comic book readers are sleeping on this. And again, Hulk is kind of a bit like Superman. Like, he's so powerful that he's tough to make interesting stories for. I I feel like Al Ewing and Joe Bennett have been doing that. And again, there's been, like, a a few cantilevers, you know, where they they haven't quite nailed an issue perfectly. Um, But this is a book that, for me, has been steadily getting 7.5s. Um, which is which is fine. I mean, Justice League has been doing the same thing. Issue number eight just to me uh, skyrocketed and really brought together like the complete formula of like why you would be reading this. And so it's taken eight issues to get there. Um, but man, it's a solid issue number eight in my opinion. Um, one of the problems has been that when they started telling this story, it seemed a bit outside of the Marvel Universe. And for a while, I, I think I kind of wanted that. Like I said, I don't really know how you tell like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of horror-ish kind of story if it's steeped in the Marvel Universe. But I feel like they're they're winding around and finding that really elegant balance between telling that horror story... And I mean, and they, they're still going with the thing of like the Hulk comes out at night, right? Which is a kind of a weird again, werewolf Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing, but, but, but they're, but they're working it, right? It's, it's working. Um, but like I said, in this issue, I feel like it all came together. Um, it's a completely, I mean, it's a, like, I don't like watching medical shows, right? Like the reality, like medical TV shows where they show actual surgery and you see like bone and blood. And I'm like, I can only look at that for about 10 seconds and then I'm out. Right. Again, it doesn't, scare me it's just unpleasant and like awkward and like i don't like watching it this was that like i i i'm looking at the page and there's really gross things happening and i'm like this is making me very uncomfortable i don't like looking at this page but of course with comics i feel like when you look at a page and it makes you uncomfortable the creator's doing something right um uh, so so in this issue uh, there's this, there's this doctor, I think it's Dr. Clifton, um, whose head, or at least he's the, the science head of, um, of this, uh, uh, shadow base, um, that, uh, that a, a general who is the pro who's been the protege of, I think Thunderbolt Ross, I think they may have mentioned another general or Th- maybe it's Thaddeus Ross now. Um, uh, and I don't know if that's the same character. They're just referring to him by a slightly different name or if it's the son, I don't know. Um, but, uh, 
another general who we were introduced to a few issues ago is the head of, is the commanding officer of this base. This guy, Dr. Clifton, is the scientific head. We get to meet some more of the science team um, who are conducting experiments on the Hulk um, now that they've dissected him. There's this whole reference to like a, a drill um, and a saw that are made of special materials, and there's only like four of them in the world. Cost millions of dollars. That's how they dissected the Hulk. Um, and uh, and they have him all separated into jars. Uh, so they're so they're running tests on him. Whenever they bring like they there's a scene where they they bring the heart back and they sawed the heart in half while it was away from the other body parts. But then once they bring it back and it's within the vicinity of the other body parts, it starts to heal. Doctor Clifton like picks it up and like just holds the two halves next to each other and they like start repairing and they make this growth like like kind of sound in the thing um sound effect written so it's a really gross thing um probably the grossest thing i'm sorry i gotta get a cup of coffee here my mouth is drying out throat's drying out sorry it's been a very long day um the really gross thing is well so so the whole point of this is again this is intelligent very intelligent hulk uh kind of in the way if you ever watched the TV show Angel, they used to talk about how Angelus, the evil persona of Angel, was smarter than Angel who was seeking redemption because evil smart and good is stupid. And it's kind of the same way here. This is a very macabre and very, therefore very cunning Hulk. And Clifton, Dr. Clifton realizes too late, Hulk is actually happy that he's been captured and in this base and that they're dissecting him because he's learning things about his capabilities while they're testing him that he didn't know. And so they have him separated into a jar. He realizes through them talking around him about their findings that he can control his body parts in other jaws jars. And so he starts tapping with one of the hands and he's able to uh, tap it hard enough to knock that glass jar over, knock all the other glass jars over. And then his body starts to remerge well, Dr. Clifton is in the middle of the body and just very grotesquely and very gruesomely uh, gets murdered um, by being uh, consumed within the Hulk's body mass. Uh, then there's another uh, scene where the, there's a transformation scene, which I don't think we've seen so far in this run on Hulk. But how he transforms back to Banner is, again, very gro- like straight out of like the howling. Like it's a very grotesque like. Uh, like body contortion kind of unnatural. Like this is not the Mark Ruffalo, I fade from green to white kind of thing that we see in the Avengers. Um, it, it is more, it is again, much more so like the really gross, like American werewolf in London kind of renditions of like the transformation. So um, great comic, great art. Joe Bennett, I haven't, I've been impressed, but I felt like there was something missing. Um, but but he he smacked the veneer of perfection on this issue, in my opinion. Uh, I rated so I rated this issue uh, nine point out of ten. Um, and again, I was very pleased with it. Again, I've been on it from the beginning. Um, so to me, this was kind of the the march to the payoff um, issue. So that was the best thing that I read this week. Stephen, what was the best thing you read this week? The best thing I read this week was The Walking Dead, number 185. It was written by Robert Kurtman, and the artist is Charlie Aller. Yeah, um, so 
Yeah, I really did enjoy this issue a lot, and it's it's um it's a it's the issues about uh you see uh if it starts off with Dwight and Rick talking about what they're gonna do um uh what they're gonna do now that they're in this Commonwealth the hilltop kind of place like the the new area they they um visited and Dwight wants to take o- he wants Rick to take over this place but Rick said that he doesn't want to take over he's tired of having wars and, and fights with people and he said he likes the people here and he doesn't want to start fighting with them but Dwight thinks that it's is is great it's good that we if we take over this place because uh he he uh he thinks that the people are actually scared of their leader and and they he thinks that they will actually join Rick's Rick's um people and fight against the leaders of this of this town. And um it does get this issue does get very political and I think that's a bit interesting. But um yeah it's it's just this is another interesting thing I did notice is that there is a there's a scene where uh and uh Rick is talking with Michonne and her daughter. They're in a they're in a restaurant and they were talking about they were kinda in awe because they didn't think that there would be a place where there's a restaurant ever again. And Rick does end up tearing because he said they he wished Andrea was there to be able to see this type of place. And it's it was kind of sad for him not to, to not to for her to be there at that moment. So so there's obviously a thing, you know, for, for people who now I'm you know, there are people who read the comic, there are people who watch the show. You know, there's oh. a small number of people who do both. Yeah. Um I don't read the comic. I have watched the show up until like a last uh, season or maybe halfway through last season, um, and and obviously there's a thing where there are there are storylines which are analogs of each other between the two, um, but 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 aren't quite the same. Um, so is this is this storyline like a mixture for those for somebody who watches the show or has watched the show but doesn't read the comics? It sounds like this is kind of a mixture of the um, the show storyline between uh, the mayor uh, and Alexandria, where. Where the town with the mayor was was a place where where maybe you know some people would have been interested in seeing Rick take over, but on the show, um, it's it's Alexandria where there you know you know there was a notion of Rick taking over, um, and and people factionalized around whether he should or shouldn't. Um, is that kind of what's going on in the comic now? Is this? Um, I'm not sure what you're explaining, but uh... okay. All right. <laughs> Um, this, the book is like, a it's a, it's, um, I think it's way ahead of the, what the TV show is at. Cause I am watching the TV show. I've watched, I saw a recent episode, the one with Rick. I actually saw that one too. So, so uh, yeah, like on the show, they have Hilltop. Hilltop has been around for three or four seasons, but is a, uh, well, uh, you know, sorry for spoilers for people who weren't expecting The Walking Dead, the TV show, to be spoiled. But uh, yeah, it appeared 
I want to say three or four seasons ago, and it has been a town that they've been uh, allies with. Um, but uh, at least two seasons ago, it had a really it had a guy who was in charge of it who was really kind of a wet paper towel. Um, and I think um, I can't remember the access the uh, Lauren Cohen's character um, was eventually kind of voted in to replace him uh, because he was too weak. Um, so that's why it, 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 and this is what the, what the show does is it takes storylines from the comic and, and, and riffs on them, right? It's, you know, it's, yeah. you know, a thing happens to a character on the show that happened to a different character in the comic, right? But it, it's the same event, but a different character. So I don't know, but yeah, but I think I, cause I know the place is called the Commonwealth. I don't know why this, in this summary I have here says Hilltop. It got me confused, but no, no, but no, no. I noticed. I think that summary's kind of wrong. Well, so so I haven't watched the show, but I, I guess what I would what I was expecting to happen sounds. I mean, what I would have expected to happen would have been for because they talked about this nascently, but it hadn't culminated. Was I would have expected like the, the Commonwealth sounds like what would have happened? Like Alexandria would have been allied with Hilltop and would have been allied with. Uh, I forget the place that Ezekiel, the kingdom, which is which, oh yeah, Ezekiel, yeah, which is what Ezekiel was a chart, right? It seems like the three of them would have banded together and become a commonwealth where they each would have had their individual leaders, but they would have been in an alliance. Yeah, they they just ran into this new town and it's called a commonwealth, and they okay. have a new uh, is a woman that is in charge of this area, and they notice that the place is real is kind of peaceful in a way yeah but they also find out the reason why it's peaceful is because there's police in every section it's kind of like have it's a police state town right and right you see that in the book that there's people that are not comfortable with that and rick is still blinded to it he doesn't know if um he doesn't feel uncomfortable yet he's just He's just, I guess he's just um, more amazed about how peaceful it is. And he always wanted a place like this. Right. And, and for some reason, he's not seeing, he's not seeing what Dwight, um, Dwight is seeing. And then I think it's pretty interesting. And I noticed that this, this story arc does show how, how political Walking Dead can get. Yeah. Yep. And I, it does. I don't know because I heard George Romero didn't like The Walking Dead because it's to him is not political, and I disagree. It is political. Hmm. It has very strong influences of George Romero, and I don't know. This book actually, this issue actually proves how political it can get. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I I watch the show. I don't so much read the comic, but it's it seems like the last. I mean pretty quickly on the show after like the third or fourth season, like the, the threat stopped being the, the, the walkers, right? The threats are being the other humans. And, and, yeah. and as you get exposed to each of these new townships with their different forms of leadership, it's, it's, it's all a treatise on, on different political systems um, that are semi-democratic. And it's actually kind of, um, you know, if, if the foundation trilogy, you know, by Asimov is, is a treatise on the Roman Empire, then this is definitely a treatise on like what 
like the regression of the political systems which have come into being in the modern age. It's you know how do, we we all know the history of how those political systems built up. I mean, The Walking Dead, the TV show, is a lot about how those political systems regress and kind of reset. Um, you know, in 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 times where there's not as as an effective a means of like the notions of common security and common economic um, partnerships. But we're getting deep into some other stuffs, but let's go ahead and round out the, tonight's discussion. Uh, we're, uh, we're not even rounding out. Uh, let's quickly run down uh, what you had for honorable mentions for this week, Stephen. Oh, I gave The Walking Dead a 10. That's much this. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the, my honorable mentions is, um, is, is the Curse of Burnstone number eight, Champions number twenty six, Doctor Strange number seven, Iron Fist number two, and X Men Red number ten. Okay, and again, the honorable mention sections are any comics that we haven't discussed in the review section, or in the best thing that we read this week that we also gave uh, it, that we also gave or would have given an eight point score or above on our ten point scale that goes in half point increments. Uh, so for me. Outside of the things I already talked about, uh, I also gave 8.0s or above to Justice League number 11, uh, Spider-Geddon number 3, and Batman number 58. Um, I'm sorry, so it's anything outside of the best thing that we read this week that we gave 8.0s or above to. Uh, and then lastly, let's run through our poll lists for the upcoming week. Uh, I'm going to be pulling a Fantastic Four number three. Uh, in all, all of these, except for the last two, are things that are currently on my recurring poll list. Uh, Fantastic Four number three, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 312, which is the second issue with the new creative team after the departure of Chip Zdarsky, Uh, Titans number 29, which will be my first time pulling that series since adding it to my recurring pull list, Uh, Miss Marvel number 36, which will start a new arc after wrapping up the previous arc with the Shocker, Uh, Red Hood Outlaw number 28, which also starts a new arc. Um, after uh, Red Hood repositioned to a new town that I just referred to as Pleasantville, um, where something uh, sinister is apparently awry underneath the surface. Uh, And things that I'm going to pull from Steven's list, I will also pull Plastic Man number 6 and Star Wars Dr. Aphra number 26. So Steven, what are you going to be pulling next week? Uh, I'm going to be pulling number 6 and and uh, Mr. Miracle number 12, which are both final issues of their series. Um, I'm also picking up Titans number 29, Un- Uncanny X-Men number 1, and Star Wars Dot the Alpha number 26. So, so let me just ask you before we close out. So Uncanny X-Men number 1, so is Extermination, has Extermination ended or is it ending like no. next? Is Uncanny it's, X-Men the reset? It's supposed to be the reset. Yeah, you're right. But um, the fifth, um, it's supposed to, um, Extermination, the, the final issue is number five, which hasn't come out yet. Okay. Uh-huh. And is that just a publishing thing? It seems like the plan probably was that Extermination number five probably would have come out already. I think that's the, I think it was just uh, Uncanny X-Men number one got published before. Okay. I guess Extermination number five is supposed to be coming out. Okay. Well, very cool, man. As always, a great conversation. Uh, this, I don't know about you or the listeners or the re- this conversation every week always invigorates me and makes me love comics um, and makes me love reading comics. It, 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 it is a nice way to wrap up my thoughts 
about the comics that I just read and firmly uh, sets me up and makes me uh, hungry to read what's coming up in my pull list on Wednesday. Uh, so, Stephen, any other comments that you want to make before we get out of here? Uh, thanks. I I appreciate hearing that what you just said. <laughs> oh yeah, no no problem at all, man. Like, the, the, <laughs> dude, this is a show I have been trying to put together for probably four years, um, and just never found um, the 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 partner with the right chemistry and and the and the right depth of of readership. That's part of the problem. I, I've I've run across people who like only read DC or only read Marvel, and they and they only want to do a podcast about those. Um, or I, I agree. I have the same problem. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or they, or they only read superhero comics and they don't read like crime comics or war story comics or they don't read anything outside the mainstream. So it's just always, you know. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. You, you came along at the right time in my, in my geek life. So. Um, all right. You're welcome. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, thanks so much, everybody, for joining in for this episode, uh, episode number six of the What's Your Issue Weekly People's Comic Book Podcast. Uh, Not recanting. I always want to say recanting. Um, uh, Reviewing all the comics, all the comics that we read that shipped the comic book shipping week of the 7th of November. Uh, In two days, like the rest of you, we will be picking up our pull list of things that shipped the 14th of November, and we'll be right back here next Monday. Uh, to talk about them again. Uh, so on behalf of myself, my co-host Stephen Laura, the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube, Gearworks.com, and the Rounding Off Infinity Gaming channel on YouTube, thanks so much for joining in. Please head over to all those channels and sites. Stephen, what's your plug? Ultimate Awesomeness? Yeah, Ultimate Awesomeness. Yeah, that's the name of the YouTube channel, Ultimate Awesomeness. Okay, so please head over to all those other content locations and consume all that other stuff. We do appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with us, the best way to get in touch with us to give us feedback on this podcast, ask us questions, maybe give us input on something you want us to read in the upcoming uh, shipping week. Probably the best thing to do is contact us on Twitter uh, at E2KG Network. Uh, Thanks so much for joining in, everybody. That's going to do it for us for tonight. We're out of here.